Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And so I, I want to try to get out to, for before him get get home too late. It's not a it's not a game day uh, weekend. You can't hear me. Okay. Um, yes. Okay. So um, we're we're going to try to get started here. I'll, I'll introduce um, uh, Kevin Thomas to you. He and I. Um, met, I guess, the first time when we were both serving in Cleburne County. He and I were probably one of two ordained elders in all of Cleburne County at the time that we were there. I was at Heflin, and he was at Wise Chapel in Ranburn. And uh, so I guess that's the first time. I guess that's the first time I met you. That's been years and years ago. Um, but I appreciate him uh, coming over from Tuscaloosa. He is at Forest Lake United Methodist Church, and I'll let him tell you more about his story. He can do it a lot better than I can. We're still going to go uh, with the same format. We've all grown so fond of, I'm just saying that facetiously, uh, we've gotten used to. Uh, he's going to speak, and then he's going give, to give you a time for question and answer. Let's pray as we begin. Oh, Lord, uh, we... Um, are doing our very, very best to understand all that we can understand and make the wisest decision that we can make when we gather tomorrow night. So, Lord, I pray that you give us open ears and open hearts as our final speaker of, of this process comes to speak to us. I pray your blessings on Kevin as he comes to share from his heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Good evening. Uh, I am honored, honored to share with you. All right. <laughs> I've been called a big mouth before. Yes. I, can. I am honored to share with you. I know these are difficult times, but I do appreciate the invitation. I appreciate the opportunity to share my heart and hopefully be of some help to you as you walk through this path. I am serving Forest Lake United Methodist in Tuscaloosa. I'm in my eighth year there. Um, we... Uh, I've not done the research exactly, but I'm almost certain that we're actually the first church in the conference to hold a vote about whether to stay or to leave. We did it back in last November before it was a thing. Uh, we did it early though, because we realized that the denominational struggle was uh, impeding our ministry. We couldn't do long range planning because we couldn't imagine what the future was gonna be yet. We, people didn't wanna invite their friends to come to a church that might wind up going a direction they didn't support. People didn't want to give their money to a church only to have it used for purposes they didn't agree with within a year. Perhaps y'all have had those same feelings. Uh, well, I bring news to you from the other side of that situation. Life has gotten much better. We did vote last November in our church conference by a 90% margin to remain United Methodist. What that vote has done for us, it's given us much more clarity about who we are. Coming out of that, we developed an identity statement. You can find that on our church website if you're interested in it. It's forestlakeumc.org. But we developed an identity statement so that we can say who we are, who we welcome, what we stand for, and that has rallied folks. It has welcomed new people, We've had new growth that has come into the church because we've been clear about who we are. 
And it has given us freedom to do ministry in a way that even a year ago we didn't exactly have. And so it's important, I think, I'm more convinced now than ever, it's important for churches to be clear about who we are. Now, I'll be totally honest with you on that because you'll ask me later if I don't. Um, Yes, we lost some folks over that too. When you're clear about who you are, some folks who don't want to be that may walk away, and we've grieved that. I'm, I'm heartbroken by people that no longer want to be a part of who we are. But God's given us a calling, and we're committed to that calling. And that's serving us well. Uh, I served Rainbow City first here for five years, had a great time there. So I'm somewhat familiar with the area. Um, I suspect that the birthplace of the North Alabama Conference could very easily become a refuge for United Methodist in this area if that's the way you choose to go. But again, that will be your decision tomorrow night. As you face that, no doubt you have heard church leaders stirring up fear about who's going to be in the future United Methodist Church. Church leaders have been, religious leaders have been trying to tell you that undesirable folks are going to be in the future of the United Methodist Church. Well, I want to respond to that by saying that God is not the author of fear. So if somebody is causing you to fear, it's not God. Religious leaders can do that, though. A second thing I would say about that is I'll tell you exactly who will be in the future United Methodist Church. People created in the image of God. People incredibly valued by God. That's enough for me. The other thing I would say about that is if the religious leaders are murmuring about who we're keeping company with then we're in good company. I'll take that. Luke chapter 15, the first two verses. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Let the religious leaders mutter If they don't like who's going to be in our church going forward, let them mutter. The United Methodist Church going forward is going to continue to walk alongside Jesus among all people. And I'm excited about that. No doubt you have heard religious leaders complaining that some United Methodists are not keeping the law. That we are rule breakers is the way I had it put to me in one session. Uh, And they are pointing fingers at us rule breakers. Well, first off, let me say that the United Methodists that I know in the North Alabama Conference are still honoring the law. We are still doing what the church law tells us to do. But if we feel that a law is unjust... Shouldn't we work to overturn that law? And as far as, as far as rule breaking, it's, again, let's go back to Scripture. Luke 
14, verses 3 and 4. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. If people are getting all uptight about rule breaking, the reality is we gather on Sunday mornings at the table of a rule breaker. He consistently chose relationships over religious rules. Consistently. If our church, when our church chooses people over policy, is that something we should really be ashamed of anyway? Because if we choose, when we choose people over policy, it seems to me that we're just being like Jesus. Because that's what Jesus did. And that makes us uncomfortable sometimes. We like our rules. I get it. Jesus liked people more. In the few minutes I have with you tonight, I'm going to share basically five reasons why I'm staying United Methodist, why Forest Lake decided to stay United Methodist. First, I'm staying United Methodist because I love our doctrine. I believe we have the most sound doctrine of any church out there, obviously because if I thought somebody else had a better doctrine, I'd be that kind of preacher. But I'm United Methodist because of our doctrine. Our doctrine is contained in, our, in the, the first part of the book of discipline, which is our constitution. The constitution has, uh, among other things, has our, our doctrinal standards in it. They include things like the articles of religion of the Methodist Church, the confession of faith of the, of the evangelical United Brethren. Those came together in 68 when the churches merged. They're almost identical anyway. The uh, John Wesley's standard sermons, the explanatory notes, his explanatory notes on the New Testament. <laughs> 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 I don't think I'll put that on my resume in the middle of <laughs> teaching and the lights went out. Anyway, um, those, those documents talk about what we believe. They include things like the virgin birth, the physical death and resurrection of Jesus, the uh, authority of Scripture, the need for, uh, the need for uh, Jesus as our path to salvation. Those things are, are rooted in there. And by the way, our constitution is almost impossible to change. And nobody's trying to. Our, nobody's trying to change our doctrine. When people tell you that what's going on right now is a doctrinal issue, that's simply not true. Nobody's trying to change our doctrine. But our doctrine goes further than that. It talks about what we believe. Those documents I just named talk about what we believe as United Methodist, but also included in our doctrine is something that really gets me excited. Uh, it includes the general rules of the United Societies. These were groups that John Wesley put together back in the 1700s, and he gave the early Methodist and all of us three rules to follow. And it's part of our doctrine. In other words, as United Methodist, part of the reason I love our denomination, our doctrine is not just about what we believe, but it's about how we behave. 
You can't just say, I believe this about Jesus and be United Methodist. We've got to act a certain way too. Well, how do we act? Three rules. Do no harm. Do no harm. Do no harm. Understand that in, in all of this that's been going on, we are sadly doing too much harm in the name of doctrinal purity. In reality, we are breaking our doctrine in order to enforce our statutory law. We're breaking our doctrine to enforce our rules. That troubles me. General rule number one, do no harm. General rule number two, do all the good to all, do, do all the good that you can to all the people that you can all the time that you can as long as ever you can. I think I got those all in the right order. Basically, love other people. Take care to all of the people you can. Do all the good to all the people that you can all the time. If you're United Methodist, you said, it's not just I believe that, I do that. The third one, if you'll allow me a paraphrase, Wesley said, attend upon the ordinances of God. Most of us probably don't talk that way now. Uh, I call it stay in love with God. And he names the ways of doing that as what we call the instituted means of grace. Things like Holy Communion, prayer, fasting, Bible study, accountability, those things that have been proven to build our Christian lives. Along with that, works of mercy. So do no harm. Do all the good that you can. Stay in love with God. So our doctrine as United Methodists is not just about what we believe, but it's about how we behave. And I think that's very important for us. That's the doctrine I promise to uphold. And it's not changing. It's a very practical theology. It's another thing I love about, about Wesley, and it plays into our discussion about what's going on now. Uh, for Wesley, if it worked, if God was using it, then who are we to complain? It's really rooted a lot in Acts chapter 10. God called Peter to go into the home of a Gentile. By the way, I don't know all of you, but presumably most, if not all of us, are Gentiles in the room. It was a sin. Peter would have been sinning, according to his religion, to walk into our homes. But God says, go to Cornelius' house. And God says to Peter, whatever I've, whatever I've cleansed, don't you dare call unclean. Peter goes to Cornelius' house. He preaches. Cornelius and his household are converted. Peter says, if God's doing this, who are we to withhold baptism from them? God's poured out the Spirit on these Gentiles. If God's blessing it, who am I to get in the way? Right? That's a part of who we are as United Methodists. John Wesley absolutely hated, hated field preaching. He was a high churchman. Sermons were to be up there and from behind the from behind the pulpit in the sanctuary. His friend George Whitfield had started preaching outdoors and had huge crowds come and, and Whitfield begged Wesley, come on out and try it. Wesley refused. So finally, Whitfield persuaded him and he went out and Wesley went out and he preached and the crowds came and the spirit was poured out in a mighty way. God changed lives. And afterwards, Wesley said this, I decided to become more vile that I might win more. 
that's a part of who we are. I decided to become more vile because God was using something I didn't like. But I'm going to honor God anyway. That's who we are. We, are. we have a practical theology about us. I need to move on. I'm staying United Methodist because I love our respect for the authority of Scripture. At the same time, I want to be in a church that allows for us to struggle with the complexities and the difficulties of Scripture. Some have said that we're light on biblical authority. I am here because of biblical authority. I've come to the place that I am in my ministry and my life because of biblical authority. But if you take the Bible seriously, you've got to be able to struggle with it. In fact, I've come to say that I take the Bible too seriously to take it literally. And I, and I do take it seriously. In fact, I am right now continuing my studies in Greek and Hebrew, the worst two things in my life I've ever studied. The hardest things I've ever tackled. But the Bible was written in Hebrew and in Greek, and I want to read it in its original languages, so I suffer through the index. I've got index cards stacked up this high where I'm trying to improve my skill. I take it seriously. But if you take Scripture seriously, I had a member one time that said, I believe every word in the Bible. I hadn't read it yet, but I believe. If you take it seriously, it gets complicated. Let me give you just one example. We could go on for much longer than you want me to be here tonight. One example. Deuteronomy chapter 7. The writer of Deuteronomy Here's God saying this. When the Lord your God brings you into the land where you're, uh, where you're entering to take possession of it, and he drives away many nations from before you, the Hittites, the Jergesites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you, and when the Lord your God turns them over to you and you defeat them, you shall utterly destroy them. You shall not make a covenant with them nor be gracious to them. Just one of a number of places in the law, the first five books of the Bible, a number of places in the law where we hear God commanding the extinction, the genocide of whole groups of people, the Canaanites in particular. The Canaanites in particular get on the wrong end of that discussion a whole lot. Well, that's what the Bible says though, right? Wipe them out, man, woman, and child. Show no mercy. However, 1 John tells us that God is love. And the one that doesn't love doesn't know God. Which is it? To make it a little bit tougher, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Pray for them. How do you reconcile all of that? A literalist approach to the Bible doesn't answer those questions. We've got to be free to wrestle with it. We've got to be free to struggle and to come up with something that makes more sense. And we do that all the time. This is nothing new. 
Right now, with the current crisis, we're asking you to wrestle some with Scripture. What do these what do these six passages really mean for us today, for our church and for our community? We got to wrestle with that some, but that's not new territory for us. We had to do it with women in ministry. Fortunately, in our denomination, for over 50 years, we've been ordaining women in ministry, but that means that for most of our history, we haven't. And there's still people that think we shouldn't. But we are so blessed by women that have served in ministry, but we, we had to kind of work through some stuff with Scripture to discover that that was a good thing, didn't we? We had to wrestle with Scripture to you got to wrestle scripture a little bit if you have a lawyer. Do you know that? One of the passages that gets quoted a lot in these days about, human sex, about homosexuality, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 6, uh, it's a list of folks that are not going to inherit the kingdom. One of the words in there, a very strange word, is translated in some English text as homosexuals, but we can talk more about that word later if you want. But, but the verses, the several verses, what, seven or eight verses before that verse, Paul is telling the Christian folks not to go to court against one another. Don't sue one another. In fact, Paul says it would be better to be wronged than to sue. Yet most of us have used lawyers from time to time, I suspect. Again, I don't know who's in the room, but we've, there might be some lawyers in the room. And uh, thank you for what you do. We wrestle with Scripture all the time, don't we? We wrestle with Scripture. Uh, the dietary stuff comes up all the time. I'm going to get a little bit more lighthearted here for just a minute, I think. Just a little more lighthearted for just a second. Uh, we... We Gentile New Testament Christians like to dismiss all the dietary stuff, don't we? You, you read that, you know, stuff like shellfish. Uh, I, was, I was in New Orleans over the weekend, and um, uh, according to the Old Testament, uh, I abominated all over the place. I had shrimp and oysters every time I could. Uh, I am, and that's an abomination in the Old Testament, Right? But we, we're in the New Testament. We New Testament Christians like to say, well, that's all the dietary law went out at the cross. That's what we say, right? Except we're wrong. The most recent instructions on dietary law, the current guidelines in Scripture on dietary law, actually come from Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem Council. When they're debating, again, whether or not we Gentiles can be a part of the church, and the council decides, yes, that Gentiles can be a part of the church, provided you don't eat meat sacrificed to idols. I Means no hot dogs at Bryant Denny Stadium. Also, that you can't eat meat with the blood still in it. If we want to be literalist, if we want to be inerrantist about Scripture, we've got to eat kosher meat. It's the last thing the Bible says about it. It didn't go away with the cross, in other words. But we've learned to wrestle with Scripture, haven't we? One final one, and I, I need to move on. Um, and people hate when you bring this one up, but it's, I think they hate it because it's accurate. For what 
14, 1500 years, the church said that the earth is the center of the universe. That the sun goes around the earth. As I said that because the Bible says that. And then Copernicus came along and said, nope, it's the other way around. The, sun, the earth goes around the sun. And the church kicked him out for it. Because he had to be wrong because the church said it was the other way around. The odd thing is it took the church, I believe it's about 400 years, about 400 years to finally admit that no, the sun really doesn't go around the earth. We have to wrestle with scripture all the time and we've got a long history of doing it very slowly. And sometimes we hurt too many people in the process. I value using tradition, reason, and experience to help me understand Scripture. That's a part of who we are. That doesn't make us light on Scripture. They're just tools we use to understand it. And that's part of the reason that I'm still here. Uh, I'm remaining United Methodist because I value our stance on social justice. Jesus came into the world to usher in the kingdom of God now. When he preached, he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. When he told the disciples to go preach, go to, he said, go tell everybody to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. It's in, the, it's in the now. Now, I'm not discounting a kingdom of God later. I absolutely believe in the kingdom of God that we get to experience in the next life. But there's not a whole lot we really do about that right now, is there? We're in this life. We're in this world. And Jesus calls us in this world to create the kingdom of heaven here. When he preached his sermon in Nazareth, he turned to the prophet Isaiah and he, uh, he read from it. And here's, here's what he read. Because he anointed me, because he anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set, those who, uh, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. When Jesus announced what he was doing in this world, that's what it was. To set the oppressed free. To share good news with poor folks. To heal the sick. To, uh, I suspect that y'all pray the Lord's Prayer here with some regularity. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in Gadsden as it is in heaven. In Etowah County as it is in heaven. And I love our church because we take that seriously. We're not discounting the world to come. But we place an incredible value through things like UMCOR, through our mission through our local mission outreaches. Methodists, since our, since our founding in the 1700s, we have clothed, we have educated, we've provided hospitals and orphanages, and uh, we have been there for, and we still do it, and we still will do it. And so I am here because I want to be a part of bringing the kingdom of God to earth. I've got... You know, that's, that stuff just excites me. 
it excites me that we have that we are ambassadors of a heavenly kingdom in this world. I am convinced that if we busy ourselves with building the kingdom here and now, we don't have to be too worried about the kingdom later. Don't you think? If we're busy, in fact, Jesus said, look, John 14, Jesus said, uh, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. I'm going to build a place for you there. Don't worry about it, right? Don't let your heart be troubled. So we spend all our time worrying about it. Jesus is essentially saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you there. You do your work here. And that's what we're doing. It's what United Methodists do and are going to continue to do. I'm remaining United Methodist because I want to preserve the opportunity to be prophetic. To be able to speak out against injustice, evil, and oppression. We took that vow, right? We resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. I want to have the freedom to speak out against that. Even I want to have the freedom to speak out when the church gets it wrong. I love our church. I hope you picked up on that tonight. I love our church, but sometimes our church gets it wrong. And we have a system that gives folks like Sammy and me the opportunity to speak out, to speak truth to power without being worried that our families are going to be homeless by the end of the day. That's not true in every denomination. You know that? I have had the opportunity to sit down face to face with our bishop and tell her that I disagree with some of what's going on. And I can do that with, with freedom without, think, without fearing that I'm going to be summarily fired. It is vitally important that as United Methodists, we have the freedom to speak up for change when it needs to happen. And while I didn't come here with the intent of berating any of the other expressions that are out there, I would be derelict in my duty with you tonight if I didn't make sure that you are aware that at least one of the popular options out there that some of our United Methodist churches are going to includes in its book of doctrines and disciplines a fidelity clause. A fidelity clause that tells its pastors and its members and its churches that if you, if you step outside of what their hierarchy says, then you can be involuntarily disaffiliated. You tow the conference line or else. We don't have that in our system. Maybe they think we ought to. But... And at least one of the other expressions, if you get outside of what they say, whoever they happens to be, then there can be real punishment. I don't want to serve like that. Um, and I don't know how things I don't know how things are here, but I'm some of those churches, you can't, you can't teach anything in Sunday school that the preacher hadn't signed off on. I don't have time, energy, or desire to do that. I believe people ought to be free to explore. We've got big stuff to wrestle with, and I'm, maybe, maybe they've got some answers I don't. So I'm staying United Methodist to be, continue to be prophetic. And 
I'm remaining United Methodist because I have hopes for a more inclusive church. We're not there yet. Regardless of what happens here tomorrow night, we won't be there yet for, for guessing first. Uh, nothing changes before 2024. There are no guarantees that anything changes in 2024. There's still a hard road to go to get there. But I am hopeful, I'm hopeful that we become more inclusive. And I want to be honest about that. The current prohibitions against homosexuality are in our statutory law. Remember earlier I was talking about our constitutional law, where our doctrine is? To change constitutional law, you have to have a two-thirds majority of the general conference vote for it and a two-thirds of every member of every annual conference. So like when, when we go to an annual conference up in Huntsville, two, they count up, we would vote, they count up all the annual conference votes all over the world, and you have to have two-thirds of that number. Nearly impossible to change. Statutory law, on the other hand, is the rest of the Book of Discipline. It's the rules by which we live, how we're structured, uh, that tells us about the trustees and the SBRC and the Finance Committee and all this other stuff. Um, statutory law changes every four years. It changes quite frequently. Statutory law can change by a simple majority vote at general conference, 50% plus one. It's all that's required to change. And it happens all the time. It's happened a lot for good reasons. Statutory law used to say that blacks and whites couldn't worship together in the same facility. They had an, we had an entirely separate structure. Some of you might remember that. Just a little. I was born in that church. I was born in 65, so I was born into the Methodist church, but I just don't remember it. Uh, but we had to have a whole separate district and conference structures for our black Methodists, didn't we? That was statutory law and it was wrong. And we changed it in 1968. Because when we realized that we've been doing the wrong thing, sometimes we have the courage to fix it. It used to be against statutory law for women to be ordained. We fixed that. It used to be against statutory law for laity to even assist in serving communion. I don't know if you remember that. One of my members at Rainbow City First uh, was one of the first laymen in the entire annual conference to ever help distribute the elements because statutory law said you couldn't do that. And we were wrong and we fixed that. It happens all the time. We discover something about uh, what we've been doing that's wrong and we go in and we fix it. Well, in 1972, the general conference added language into the Book of Discipline about homosexuality. This is not what we've always had in our law. It was added. You know, I remember, we, the Methodist Episcopal Church, our earliest form, uh, was founded at the Christmas Conference in 1784. 1784 is our birthday. So the first time homosexuality is added to our Book of Discipline is 1972. Um, prohibitions were put in saying it's incompatible with Christian teaching and that, that clergy, that, that we can't ordain clergy. And the way the language evolved, it got to where self-avowed self practicing homosexuals. But let me, let me kind of set that scene for you though. In 1972, 
the psychological community also said that homosexuality was a psychological disorder. The, the diagnostic manual for psychological disorders is called the DSM, the Di Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. That's a mouthful. But uh, it's, the, it's more or less the Bible uh, of psychological disorders. It's what uh, professionals use to, to diagnose things. And in 1972, they were on the third volume of the DSM, the DSM-3. If you were to go back and look at the DSM-3, in, in 1972, the, the psychological community said homosexuality is a psychological disorder. And so it's not surprising that the church would say, well, then our clergy don't need to be homosexuals. We don't want to be ordaining people with psychological disorders. In fact, we, have, we require psycho, psychological evaluations before they will ordain us. We both went through that. Amazingly, I passed. And so the church in 72 did something that made sense in 72. But what science does, quite frankly, sometimes better than the church is they keep double-checking themselves. It's part of science to constantly examine itself to see if it got it right. And what science discovered is they got it wrong. We're now on the DSM-5, two volumes later. The DSM-5 does not list homosexuality as a psychological disorder. The scientific community kept checking themselves, kept checking themselves, and they said, we made a mistake, we're going to fix it. And they did. And I do believe that in 1972, we made a mistake. And I do hope that very soon we fix it. It's out of my power. I'm not a delegate to General Conference. I have lived with the role that we have. But I am hopeful that we change it. And here's why. I'm convinced that our roles about homosexuality are wrong because I've witnessed God at work in LGBTQ folks. Over and over again. Remember what I said earlier on about us being very practical in our theology? About Wesley saying he'd be more vile if it would win more about him preaching in the field when he hated it? Jesus was pretty practical too. He said the tree is known by its fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit. A bad tree cannot produce good fruit. Well, I've got a number of LGBTQ friends that are producing incredible fruit for the kingdom. Incredible fruit. I have a friend who is homosexual who has won more kids to Christ than I could ever hope to. I'm not going to live long enough to catch up to her. Jesus said you'll be known by your fruits. Now the fact, does the fact that she is in love with and married to a woman make Jesus wrong? You'll be known by your fruits. Produced incredible fruit for the kingdom.
And yet I can't even call her name because it might get her in trouble. I see in some of my LGBTQ friends love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. I see the fruit of the Spirit being poured out. If God blessed it, who am I to call it unclean? God's blessed it. Who am I to say no? That's not a blanket. I, to be fair, I've also seen people. I've also seen uh, LGBTQ folks that are not so graceful. I'm not saying that every same-sex relationship is holy, because guess what? Every heterosexual relationship is not holy. but we should be judged by our behavior towards one another, not by who we love. And so I am staying where we are and continuing to fight this fight because I'm hopeful that we will become more inclusive. But that part we're still waiting to find out. If it happens, it will not be the ruin of your church. That I'm absolutely certain of. Could be an opportunity for revival. That's why I'm staying United Methodist. I, that's why Forest Lake still is where it is. I think I'm right up against the time, maybe a few minutes over, and I want to respect your time. Um, but I would be happy to, as best as possible, entertain any questions that you might have okay raise your hand if you have a question just like school so since remaining united last fall how has your youth and children's ministry and young family ministry and group responded very positively in fact the um as we were going through the vote, every young family in my church reached out to me individually and said, if this vote goes to, to go to the other nomination, we're gone. Um, and I don't want to cast that too widely. There are absolutely some young adults who take a more traditionalist view. They're, they are out there. But my experience is the longer we continue to have this, this debate, the more and more irrelevant we are with the younger generations. Generally, when I talk to them, we got, we got a few college students around Tuscaloosa. Generally, when I talk to them about what we're doing tonight, their response is, why in the world are y'all still talking about that? In their minds, it should have been resolved 20 years ago. It's a non-issue for a huge percentage of that. That's my experience. Sure thing. Okay. Who else? Okay. Kevin, either you did a really good job of answering the questions ahead of time or they're they're <laughs> tired. <laughs> so um or really sleepy. Thank you. Uh, yeah are completely baffled. Um, 
but thank you uh, again. And uh, if you thought of something after we uh, dismissed, then then Kevin will be around for a, a little bit. Yeah, I'm in uh, no before, before he heads back. Um, let me just say a word about uh, tomorrow. Um, we will open the doors at 5:45. Voting will be in the Chestnut Lobby. Uh, we have we kind of did a little dress rehearsal today, so I think we've got all of our ducks in a row about how to make things. We, our goal is to make it run as smoothly as a Chick-fil-A drive-through, just just right on through. We're teaching everybody to say "my pleasure." That's a big uh, promise. So. Uh, <laughs> That's our goal. You might as well have goal. Sanctification is the goal. So, yeah. uh, all right. So, um, no. If if you uh, if you know somebody that has a need or that needs a ride, we're going to do everything we can to accommodate people. We'll 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 help people in. We've got wheelchairs. We'll we'll do everything we can to accommodate people to get them in to get them through. Um, so. Between now and this time tomorrow night, will you say some extra prayers for our church? Uh, because we, this is a, a momentous occasion, and um, and it's very important for us in the future. That's why we call it Pathways to the Future. Okay. Uh, all right. Uh, I'm going to ask my colleague, Pastor Andy, to pray our closing prayer. Let's pray. Loving God. Uh, we pray that we'll all be able to get a good, restful, peaceful sleep tonight. Um, and God, we know you're in control, and uh, we just pray for, every, for your will to be done. Um, and we just pray for the future ministries of this church. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.